Experiencing the news each day can feel like a journey. With Up First from NPR, it doesn't have to be. Welcome to 15 easy minutes of breaking news, clarity on international and national affairs, all handed over not from some floating voice in the sky, from us, Layla, A, Steve, and me, Rachel. Start your day informed. Subscribe to Up First wherever you get your podcasts. From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, and part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia Podcast. And I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. This episode was recorded on December 12th, 2022. So any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Hey, Beth. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well on this uh, morning, early morning. We're having... Um, I don't know. I'm not going to say we're having issues. <laughs> well, don't we always have issues? We pretty much do. Yeah, yeah. But I'm excited about talking books with you, Beth. How Good. about you? Yes, I am. I, You know, my list is half half marginalia, half school. Um, I'm excited to, you know, you know so I... So normal, normal for you. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but Z- zero just pleasure reading, like all of mine. Pretty much. So yours are zero pleasure reading. No, 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 no. I'm saying yours are usually zero. Yes. Zero. Just I'm going to pick this book off the shelf because I want to read it right now. That is not the way your reading life goes, is it? It's not. But I'm hoping that toward the end of December, I can choose something just for myself. Do you have I'm curious, do you have a list going for that precious, precious time (laughs) between (laughs) between the end of class and sort of Christmas break? Do you have a long list going? Or I've just mentioned, see what happens? you know, I've mentioned books in passing to my friends, but the problem is, you know, there are too many of them. And then how do you rank them? My short story group, we were discussing some of the books I was reading for class and, and who, you know, which ones I'm reading for my final paper. And one of my friends in the group, who is a bookstore owner, said that she's going to have to go back and read A Passage to India because Sarah Winman's still life was like a retelling of that or based on that. And I had no idea about that. Then after I had read E.M. Forrester myself, now I want to go back and read both of those. So it's just an ever-growing pile. And I just, you know, sometimes I'm glad that I have to read books because they're assigned to me to be truthful. Uh, Yeah, you just you need someone to um, sort of zero you in on all the multiple options. Yes. Um, Although this is the time of year, wouldn't it be nice to just I'm going to start doing this, maybe maybe I will do this. Sit down with you about all the the books you really, really loved this year before we come out with our like best of list. Mm -hmm. And the ones of yours that I missed go and read those. you You know how you have nonfiction November? Yes, I'm going to have a let me read whatever the hell I want December. Oh, I Wouldn't love, that be nice? Oh, yeah. that's That sounds fabulous for you. I think I'll Because <laughs> I, read, I read whatever the hell I want usually. So <laughs> but you definitely, definitely deserve that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, anyway, so um, let's talk about our latest reads. Do you okay. want to go first? Sure. Okay. Okay, so the first one I'm going to talk about is called The Vibrant Years by Sonali Dave. She's an Indian-American author. And she is known for her Bollywood-style love stories that explore universal issues. The Vibrant Years is not her first novel, but it is the debut novel with a new imprint from Mindy Kaling. It's called Mindy's Book Studio. Oh, Mindy Kaling of The Office? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. She, She has an imprint? She does. And The Vibrant Years follows three Indian women. Bindu is the grandmother. Ali is her daughter-in-law, and Kali is the granddaughter. Um, Bindu moved in with 
Allie and her son, they got married in the United States when they had their daughter, Kali. Bindu moved over from India and moved in to help care for her. And then when Allie and Bindu's son divorced, Bindu decided to stay with Allie instead of, like, move out. Hmm. So it's a really remarkable friendship. I mean, it's a mother-in-law, daughter-in-law friendship. Hmm. It's interesting in that all three women now are single. It's a little bit comic. It's, you know, they all are on this dating app at the same time, and they have these horrendous first dates. Coley, the youngest, decides she's going to create um, an app for dating that has more to do with it's a reflection of the women rather than what they're looking for in a man. Oh. And um, this Coley is this she's early 20s. She has already developed this app that has helped millions of people with mental health issues. So she decided to like put some of her knowledge that she gained from that toward this dating app. And, you know, all three of these women are helping her test out this app. And it's just it has some comic relief in it as well so would you would you would you describe it as a rom-com yes I would yeah but then she does tackle some serious issues I mean the mental health and discrimination and And it's really more focused on the women than than any particular romance yes more about sort of yes dealing yeah that's absolutely so love that yeah it's called the vibrant years by Sonali Dave okay Oh, that's cool. Great. Um, So my first read that I'm bringing today is one that I had been waiting on ever since this author's last novel came out, which I loved. So it's Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson. I know I've been talking about this novel in previous episodes because I was so excited to read it, and I finally have. Uh, Kevin Wilson is the author of Nothing to See Here, which I absolutely loved. It's comic, uh, quirky, a little bit fantastical fiction, quirky being the operative word here. (laughs) Now is Not the Time to Panic is the story of, first of all, it's set in the 90s, the early 90s. So like, this is historical fiction now, apparently. Any time in history when cell phones were not as prevalent as they are today seems like a world away. That's so funny. (laughs) So this is set in in the early 90s. It's the story of Frankie and Zeke. They are two teenagers Um, who are just having a boring summer. Remember those? Yeah. (laughs) Boring, boring summer with nothing to do except going to the public pool, hanging out at your house, you know. Anyway, so Frankie and Zeke become friends, and they decide, they, they both consider themselves artists. She is a writer, a budding writer, and he is sort of an illustrator artist, visual artist. And they decide to create this poster, essentially, this image where she comes up with um, kind of a bizarre phrase on it, and he does an illustration. They co-opt a copier, a Xerox copier, (laughs) and make copies of this thing and basically plaster their town with it. Um, Well, this basically sets off a satanic (laughs) panic-style frenzy in the town and where everyone is, like, trying to figure out where this poster comes from. Frankie and Zeke are loving the sort of anonymity of it and the power of it and wondering where it goes next. Without any spoilers or giving anything away, just suffice it to say it takes on a life of its own and it, it sort of blossoms into this thing that neither of them had expected or necessarily wanted. The thing about this novel that I just loved is what Kevin Wilson brings to his writing is just this humor and heart 
And he really sort of describes the teenage years so accurately. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while for me, but I could still, you know, he just put me back there. Oh, wow. Um, it, this, this is a story. It's about their friendship. It's a coming of age story in a sense. But it's really also about sort of the power of art and creativity. He peppers his writing with so much humor. And one thing I, I wanted to say, too, is his secondary characters. So Frankie is um, growing up with, uh, she has triplet brothers, triplet older brothers. And they sort of come in and out of the story, but they're fully realized. They almost kind of reminded me of the twins in Harry Potter, you know, oh, uh -huh. the Weasley twins. But every now and then, you know, Kevin Wilson will describe something that they're doing. It's just so perfect. It's one of those novels where you just, you get to an end of a paragraph and you just want to read it again. Like, how did he do that? Hmm. <laughs> I just really, really loved it. It lived up to every expectation I had for it. And so it's definitely going to be on uh, in my top, top of the year list. It's Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson. Okay, so my next one is called The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. I can't wait to hear about this. It's on my shelf. I own it. Ding, well, ding. Ding, ding. ding. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it, it actually came out at the beginning of the year, and I interviewed him. I spoke with him because the paperback is coming out, and he has another novel coming out in the spring. So The Violin Conspiracy is about a young man named Raekwon. He goes by Ray. He is in the school orchestra. He's the only one who has to borrow an instrument. Um, he's black, and he's dismissed all the time. When he says that he wants to try out for something, like the, the the orchestra instructor will like help all of the other violin players like prepare for tryouts, and then he'll say, what about me? And he said, why, why bother, or something like that. Mm. Um, he receives an invitation from another person who plays in the orchestra to, um, they have like this gig for this wedding, where they needed a fourth for their for their string quartet. And so he shows up and he's basically, he says this happened in real life to him, but he shows up at the front door. The father of the bride won't let him in. Oh um, somehow he, he like goes around the back and plays with this quartet. The father of the bride comes up afterwards and said, you ruined my daughter's wedding. What? You know, never mind that it would have not been a string quartet and that would have ruined the daughter's wedding. But he was just so racist and he could not stand that he had a black kid playing in the string quartet that he's told him his, he ruined his daughter's wedding. Wow. Anyway, so he has a horrible mother. But the one woman in his life who just keeps believing in him and keeps telling him you have to work harder, try harder, and keep being sweet Ray is his grandmother, Nora. And so when he was visiting one time, she was so proud of him for playing violin. And she said, you know, my great-great-grandfather's fiddle is still up in the attic somewhere. And so he spent this whole, like, Christmas break looking for it and could not find it. Or maybe it was Thanksgiving break because then when they came back for Christmas, she had a present for Ray and she gave him this violin. And he just he he was so proud to have a violin of his own. It needed a lot of repair. And, the, the, you know, this one somebody did this shoddy job of repairing it. But he was still able to play it and it, he was able to make beautiful music with it. And he, you know, he started getting the attention of people because they would especially if it was a blind audition where they couldn't see the person auditioning. Oh, right. And so um, he started to improve. And then when he um, he needed a, a violin to try out for something after he got like a, a full music scholarship, he was trying for this uh, for this competition and he he needed a new violin and he couldn't afford one. 
So this craftsman said, I will take a look at this violin and I will help repair it. I will I will just, you know, you had a shoddy repair job the first time. I will hmm. do my best. Well, then as they start to uncover things, they realize that it's a, a $10 million Stradivarius that has just been languishing in this attic. It had belonged to like his great, 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 great grandfather who was a slave. Wow. And it had been gifted to him by the slave owner who probably was the slave's father. Mm. Anyway, so then this big fight ensues with the family members who are trying to get it and the Marx family who were the slave owners originally, because now that it's this $10 million Stradivarius, everybody wants a piece of it. They just want him to sell it and then like divide right. up the profits. But it means more to it him means because more, he plays it. Exactly. And he just he's, he keeps saying it was a gift to me and I am not selling it. Right. Well, then it disappears. Oh. It's stolen. So okay. then it's, you know, then we go back in time and it's a mystery. So anyway, oh. it's it was really, it was well done, but I loved my interview with Brendan Slocum because he talks about how this is, I mean, he doesn't have a $10 million shot of various, but Ray's story is his story. He said if he didn't have music, he would be in jail or dead right now. And he has been uh, just, you know, just go online and, and Google him and, and watch some of the videos because he teaches violin. He performs all over the world. Oh, so the author does. You yes, mean. yes, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Brendan yeah. Slocum does. Okay, yeah. And it was just an incredible conversation. It hasn't actually aired yet, but by the time this airs, it will. But um, yeah. The Violin awesome. Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. That is definitely on my list. Of, <laughs> good, because it's on your shelf. <laughs> yes, it's on my shelf. It has been. I've heard so, so much good buzz about this book ever since it came out, as you said, earlier this year. So mm -hmm. that's one that, um, yeah, that I definitely want to pick up. Thank you for bringing that. That's awesome. Absolutely. And I can't wait to hear your interview with him. Thank you. What's next for you? I'm bringing young adult fantasy to the table, Beth. The book is The Scorpio Races by Maggie Stiefvater. And I read it in November because the first line is as follows. It is the first day of November, and so today someone will die. Oh, okay. That's the first line of this novel by Maggie Stiefvater. And I had never read any Maggie Stiefvater. Have you? No, I met her. Oh. <laughs> well, I was at a literary <laughs> convention where we were having a beautiful dinner. She, she was a speaker at one of the okay. bookseller conventions, but no. yes. Um, okay, so no, Maggie Stiefvater is known for her um, YA fantasy series. She's got the Shiver series, the Raven Boys series. She's pretty well known in YA circles. I had just never picked a book up until this one, and I totally, totally read it because of the first line oh, and the wow. timing of it. Talk about mood reading, right? It's That's like, right. Read this in November. Okay, so I basically read it all through November. It is the story of Sean and Puck a boy and girl growing up on this remote island where every November these wild killer horses, they're basically water horses, come out of the ocean. They can kill people and other animals. They're vicious, vicious things. And there's a race. So Sean actually works for kind of a stable on the island where they essentially try and tame these wild horses. Anyway, there's this race every November, and Puck is trying to, uh, I won't give anything away, but she's trying to basically save her family's livelihood, and she enters the race on her little pony, who's just a normal horse. So it's kind of about the training, you know, that goes into this race. But this author really, her descriptions of these horses, my God, I just want it to be a movie so bad. I think the special effects would be 
incredible. The descriptions, the horses are like these vibrant colors. They obviously can swim and run very fast. Again, they're vicious. They will, you know, just basically bite your throat and kill and, oh and people gosh. end up dying. It's not, you know, it's YA fantasy. It's not it's not a middle grade novel. So it gets pretty vicious at times. But it's suspenseful. It's interesting. It goes back and forth. Point of view uh, shifts back and forth between Sean and Puck. And there's a little bit of romance there. It's just got a little bit of everything. It was a really, really great read, especially for this time of year. So that was The Scorpio Races by Maggie Stiefvater. Interesting. Yeah. And I would go and check out her backlist. I've heard The Raven Boys is, is really good. You know, I do think that she's been to Wichita as well. I, I can't imagine that she hasn't. Right. Um, but I'm I just sure have never. sure Watermark her. Yeah. Oh, I would love to read more of her. And you know how I love to read middle grade and young adult every now and then. See yeah. what all the kids are up to. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I really enjoyed this one. Good. Good. Okay, so I'm going to talk about my next three together. Okay. Because they are what I've read for school. But you know what? They count, right? <laughs> Absolutely, they count. Okay, so the three that I'm talking about, two are by Zadie Smith and one is by E.M. Forrester. The first one is White Teeth by Zadie Smith. This came out in 2001, I believe, maybe 2000 in, in Britain. Um, Zadie Smith at the time was 24 years old. She started writing it when she was 22, and she just hit the scene as this phenom, right? She's British, right? Yes, she mm-hmm. is British. Um, her mother is Jamaican, and her father is British. You know, that is a little bit reflected in the characters in this book, or, in, or at least in three of the characters. Mm-hmm. So it's an exploration of Britain's relationship with immigrants from the British Commonwealth. It's about Archie and his friend Samad, who is from Bangladesh. They meet during World War II in Bulgaria. Um, but we're set primarily in, in London, and it's just, um, I don't know. It's, I don't know how to describe this book. I probably don't need to because most of you have probably already read it, but I loved it so much. Now, I knew going in that Zadie Smith has this thing for E.M. Forrester, I just didn't realize how much. I knew that because back in 2005, she wrote a book called On Beauty, which I read when it came out. And I remembered that it was a retelling of Howard's End by E.M. Forrester. And so as I was reading White Teeth, she had used one of his quotes. It was from Where Angels Fear to Tread as one of her epigraphs for her sections. And then she did mention like a passage to India. And then there was another quote later in the book where Samad was fearing that like his son was coming back from from Bangladesh and he was he was coming back more British and he was like he's coming back with his E.M. Bloody Forester. But so there was <laughs> those were just like three quick mentions in the entirety of White Teeth. Uh-huh. But my professor just suggested that I explore more like the whole Zadie Smith E.M. Forrester thing. And so as a result, I've read Howard's End and I've reread on Beauty by Zadie Smith. And I've just, I loved every single word that I've read, you know, from White Teeth to mm. Howard's End to On Beauty. And I just, I love that, you know, I read On Beauty in 2005 and I had no idea what I was reading until now Isn't that, that I know how to explore it. To yeah. have this whole new perspective. Yeah. That's what's so good about, you know, undergrad school. <laughs> um, is that, I mean, just all of the connections that you make book to book, it makes it a whole different novel I'm sure well is on beauty a novel yes okay it is and I'm also reading this other little book called on beauty and being just which um Smith kind of brings into it as well it's by Elaine Scarry 
on the back here, it's described as an elegant, passionate manifesto for the revival of beauty in our intellectual work, as well as our homes, museums, and classrooms. So I haven't actually read that one yet. I own it. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Well, Zadie Smith is like, um, she is total literary fiction. She's like this smart woman's novelist, I guess, because what I've read from her recently was the introduction that she wrote to Toni Morrison's short story recitative, which I brought in a previous episode. And if you recall, it was like the Zadie Smith introduction was every bit as impressive as the as the short story itself. Her writing is incredible. She obviously makes those connections. And so to make those connections author to author and and plot and character in her work must be fascinating. Well, and she's also she's more than just a novelist. She is a critic now. Oh, Um, and so she writes essays like when anybody writes a book about E.M. Forrester, she is the go to reviewer, whether it's in The Guardian or The New York Times or The New York Times Review of Books or something like that. They reach out to Zadie Smith because they also realize that she has this connect. He influenced her so much. Wow. I mean, she says that she would not be a writer today if it weren't for the works of E.M. Forrester. Okay, I so think A Room with a View was what what showed her what a novel could do. Wow. Which means now I need to read her and E.M. Forrester. Yeah. Which, how have I gone through my entire 54 years and not read either one of those authors? I hadn't read E.M. Forrester wow. until now. I owned it. I've re- I have the receipt from Watermark <laughs> when I bought Howard's End at the same time I bought On Beauty. And these, these have to check off some uh, some books from your thousand books to read before you die, do they not? White Teeth does. What about Howard's End or hey, Room with what? a View? Let me look. Well, I haven't read Room with a View, but let me oh, look. You're God, right. I would think Howard's End would have, be in there. I brought my book today. It's a... Any any novel, any movie adaptation with Anthony Hopkins has to be in that. <laughs> <laughs> in that, uh, well, as opposed to, uh, aside from uh, Hannibal, I suppose. But it has to be in the Let's thousand see. books to read before you die. Forster. And it is oh, F-O-R-S-T-E-R. Nope, yeah, there's only one, and it's A Passage to India. Oh, really? Not Room with a View. Right. Wow. Okay. As well. Kay James. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. No. no, it's it's fine. I really want to explore more of his work because, you know, just as Zadie Smith was influenced by Ian e. Forrester, he was influenced by Jane Austen. Oh, see, and then it goes back and back and back into the Bible. There you go. <laughs> right. I, I or, mi- so. or mythology. Yeah. And that's it. Those are your top of the, the flow chart. Yeah. The, the family tree. So that's what I'm reading to wrap up my final English class. Awesome. Good luck to you. Thank you. What's, um, what's next on your list? Oh, next on my list, and I'm, I'm sorry I didn't bring it here today for you to see, but I will. It's a graphic novel. It's called The Arrival by Sean Tan. Have you heard of this one, Beth? I've not. Oh, my goodness. I heard about it. Interesting that you should mention James Mustick because... The way I heard about the arrival was on every now and then he has he has one coming up in January. Actually, he he does a battle of the books where people online through Zoom try to make an argument for a certain book to be added to his thousand books to read before you die. Oh, and someone I can't remember. I'm sorry. I can't remember who it was many months ago suggested the arrival by Sean Tan. So this is a graphic novel. There's not a single word in this book. It is beautiful sepia-toned images. It sort of has vibes of uh, Hugo Cabaret the, uh, oh, yeah. and, and those sort of really elaborate illustrations, but again, without any words. And it's essentially an immigrant story. So you see in the first few frames 
a man packing some belongings into a suitcase and giving his wife and daughter a kiss, and he boards this steamship to cross the ocean. It's very clear without any words that he's basically leaving home. He's leaving his family behind to build a better future. It's the essential immigrant story. He lands in this fantastical, there are sort of mythological, fantastical creatures. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't recognize any signage. You're experiencing the book the way this man is experiencing this new land that he's landed in because there's no words, you know, (laughs) there's no words he understands. He doesn't have that common language, either written or oral. You know, basically, you, you see him through the illustrations of this book, try to find a job, a place to live, friendship, food, you know, trying to get his basic needs met, and then, you know, writing back home, etc. You just, it is so amazing. Each illustration is just meticulously crafted. Again, it's, it's these, this sepia tone. Each one is a work of art, and there are many, many on a page. So, I mean, there's panels, And then every now and then you'll have a a larger illustration. It's just, I can't say enough about it. I think it would be an amazing gift book for any number of people just because it would be beautiful to have out on a table and just flip through. But there's, you know, there's something special about a graphic novel, that whole experience of, you know, letting the, the illustrations kind of guide your reading. And it was just, it was fantastic. It's not a children's book necessarily, but certainly a, a family could read this together I want to go through it again many, many times. That's The Arrival by Sean Tan. I love your observation that we're experiencing, you know, what he's going through just as he is because, you know, he does not know the language. That was yeah. beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. It's yeah. just, it's, it's very clear as you go through. It's like, oh, okay. So what is, what is that thing? I don't recognize that. And we're, yeah, you're sort of in his shoes. It's, oh, it's just a beautiful experience, a beautiful book, a beautiful reading experience. Hmm. Okay, so my final book that I want to talk about today, I'm not finished, but I will be finished by today. So, <laughs> so I feel finished. like I can go ahead and talk about it. Okay, so my final book is called um, Dinners with Ruth by Nina Totenberg. Uh. And Nina Totenberg is an NPR correspondent, and she has been covering, you know, the Supreme Court. So when, th- when anything happens on the Supreme Court and they go to special coverage, you always get Nina Totenberg to weigh in because she's been doing this job for quite a while. She's the best. She is. And and we're not just saying that because we are in, on the NPR podcast <laughs> network. That's true. <laughs> you know, four years before she was hired at NPR and 22 years before Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed to the Supreme Court, Nina called Ruth. She was a reporter for the National Observer, and Nina was curious about Ruth's legal brief, asking the Supreme Court to do something revolutionary, to declare a law that was discriminated on the basis of sex, to be unconstitutional. And so Ruth managed to, you know, explain the argument to Nina, who was their reporter, and that call launched a nearly 50-year friendship between the two. Oh, wow. So this book, you know, we get a lot of the background of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but then we get background of Nina Totenberg. And we get that background so we know how the two would meld together for this friendship. Neat. We know, you know, what lines were set in the sand and they both refused to cross. Um, as far as like Nina, she said only once 
did she say to Ruth, why didn't you tell me that when I asked or something? <laughs> like they, they both have these professional boundaries. Yeah, I mean, they, conflict of interest, yeah, yeah, concerns yeah. for her. I but that, that happened once in 50 years. Wow. So yeah, she just, it's, it's just a beautiful story of friendship. And you know what? I'm also listening to this book. At I was going to ask. I would bet that would be a fantastic yes, audio because it's it's narrated by Nina Totenberg. But what I loved also was at the beginning she said, you know, the music that you hear in this is performed by my father, Roman Totenberg. Oh. Well, and then you know, it's like everything I read touches something else that I've read. Oh, isn't because that the greatest? He also had a Stradivarius that was stolen. <laughs> I remember and that. We're back full circle to the violin conspiracy. I know, but then also we're back to you know how beauty and music can touch lives. And then something you were talking about with one of your books before it reminded me of something that I had read in mine. I don't yeah. know. I just love those connections. I do too. Yeah, I do too. So dinners with Ruth. Yes. It sounds to me like a memoir of a friendship. Is that how you would describe it? It's so funny that you say that because the subtitle is A Memoir on the Power of Friendships. Oh. It's like you should write for this imprint. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should. That's one good thing, and I'm sure I would mess up everything else. But, yeah, marketing of books has got to be really hard. The subtitles. Wow. <laughs> how do you come up with those? Yeah. That's a good one, though. I talk about two strong women that I would love to know more about. That's an interesting read. But it also, she touches on other friendships, not just the one with oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. So th- that's interesting because, you know, she talks about how her sisters are some of her best friends and her friendships with, you know, Cokie Roberts and Linda oh, Wertheimer. Which and there's that other book about the four yes, NPR women. Exactly. Yeah. And then, um, you know, friendships with different Supreme Court justices, including Lewis Powell, William Brennan, Antonin Scalia, and, you know. What a fascinating life Nina Totenberg has had. (laughs) One of my favorite takeaways from this book actually had to do with, she was describing how Ruth Bader Ginsburg decided that she wanted to go to law school, and she had this 14-month-old, and her husband had, Marty, had been, like, drafted in the war or shipped off or something, and she was she just didn't know if she could do it. And her father-in-law, so Marty's father, said to her, Ruth, you know, if you don't want to go to law school, you have the best excuse in the world because you are trying to hold everything down and you have a 14-month-old. But if you really want to, well, then just, you know, stop complaining. Figure out a way to get it done. Just do it. And so I thought, you know, Beth, as much as you want to complain about school, you don't have to go back. Yeah, you just have a couple of 20-year-olds, 20-somethings. Stop (laughs) complaining and figure out a way to get it done. Oh, gosh. That is inspirational. I remember watching the movie um, On the Basis of Sex. And and I remember Marty, uh, what a character, too. And their marriage uh, was such a partnership, too. It was very clear in that story. Wow. Well, good. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, my last one, we're down to my, my final um, book to bring today. Oh, my goodness. I really love this one. Okay. So it's Flight by Lynn Stager Strong. You know I love a dysfunctional family drama. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to stop calling them, though, dysfunctional family dramas. I'm just going to call them family dramas because... Isn't every family yeah. <laughs> dysfunctional in some way? Um, but basically, what I loved about this one, again, it's sort of well-timed for me, and I am something of a mood reader. This one has a holiday setting. So it did come out recently um, for that reason, I'm guessing. Um, so many, if you want to read the sort of a holiday setting book, a lot of the choices out there are just romances or rom-coms. There's plenty of those. This, though is a literary fiction. It's it's a drama sort of set 
around Christmas time. So that's kind of cool. The basic gist is three siblings and their families gather in uh, one of the siblings' homes in upstate New York, and it's their first Christmas since the death of their mother. Oh. So their mother lived in Florida. She was uh, a matriarch in every sense of the word. She was always the center of their family life. She brought everyone together. They all had different relationships with her, both the siblings and their spouses. And so it's two brothers and a sister. So they all gather. They, you know, The mother has just died. The estate has not been settled. You can just feel the tension <laughs> from page one as this novel opens. And it sort of goes from there. One thing I'll say is that I had a difficult time keeping the characters apart at first. Anytime you have a multiple cast of characters like that, you almost have to make notes of, okay, who is married to whom? And, oh, right. And I'm like sort of making mental notes. Uh, I will say, though, it was discouraging at first, but it did not last long. So Lynn Stager Strong does a really good job of developing each character to the point of letting you sort of feel that character as soon as you see the name. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but we follow this family through their holiday gathering. It's got serious, serious family stone vibes. You know what I mean? The yeah. family stone movie. Yeah, absolutely. When you mentioned the premise, that's what it reminded yeah, sort me of. Yeah, sort of, you know, like any sort of people coming together for, you know, a holiday or some other occasion, you know, sort of big chill, <laughs> family stone kind of stuff. It's not just a character study. There's sort of a peak incident that happens in the novel and the family has to deal with it. What I love, though, is the description of, <laughs> you know, the siblings sort of joking with each other, the inside jokes, the tension between the sisters-in-law and the the brother that everyone thinks is just a goof off because he's never really held down a real job. Mm. It's every family, you know, just sort of has these kinds of experiences. And it was so well told, beautifully written. I loved the whole arc of the story. Really, really highly recommended. I loved it. It's called Flight by Lynn Stager Strong. Very good. Yeah. So Okay. That was not a bad reading month. No, it wasn't, surprisingly. I've had a lot going on, so I'm glad mm-hmm. that I was able to keep on reading. As a matter of fact, my goal for this year is 52 books. Yes. Which is, you know, it's is kind of average for me, one a week. Um, and I'm on track. <laughs> when I was tracking it on Goodreads recently, I like I like putting my book in there and seeing, you're on track, because it will say, you're, <laughs> you're two books behind or whatever. So it's like, and I've got a little trip coming up with some plane time and some driving time for audiobooks. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll hit that goal. Yeah, I have not added mine up yet. Maybe after Wednesday I will. Oh, that's right. You don't really track it, do you? I mean, until after. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like doing that because, you know, I like checking things off and feeling like I'm accomplishing something. <laughs> yeah. Mine just shows me that I've procrastinated yet again <laughs> I get the books read I just don't always yeah mark them off. we do have some exciting news to share it's the end of the year for us which means that it's almost time for the 2023 read ICT challenge I'm Yay! so excited Yay! it's the seventh year for this challenge Beth that's incredible I think so too especially because I've been part of it since the very I- first post you put on Facebook. I was going to say, as me. have I. I've yeah. been, I've well, been you, part of it. You, you, well, you developed it. Well, it you created it. it. A, so, of course. It was a wild hair one. And I, it was actually March, I think, when I first posted the very, very first challenge. It had nothing to do with, you know, New Year's or anything. 
But I was, yeah, like I had seen reading challenges elsewhere. And I was like, how about 12 books, 12 months, these categories? Who's with me? Beth Golay? Yes, 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 you were. So, yeah, now we're we're heading into year seven. It's a partnership we have with um, between KMUW, the Wichita Eagle and the Wichita Public Library. We're really every year it just gets better and better. And this year we um, are going to tape kind of a dual podcast, a crossover podcast, essentially, with the Public Library's podcast. Theirs is called Read, Return, Repeat. So on January 5th at the Advanced Learning Library, we're going to have essentially a kickoff for the challenge where we talk about the categories. Those are going to be announced January 1st. You'll be able to see those on KMUW.org. You'll see them on the Wichita Public Library's website and on the Wichita Eagle's website and in the Wichita Eagle on January 1st, That's yeah. a, which is a Sunday this year. You know, starting that day, it's so exciting to me to see how excited people are to see what these categories are. And you, get, we've got people, don't we, on that Facebook group that are like making their list as soon as they have that list. Yes, yes it's always fun. It's and so that Facebook fun. group, how, did, how does one join that? Oh, okay. So all you really have to do is go to Facebook and search for hashtag read ICT challenge and it'll come up. We're up to, I don't know, 2,700 people in that group. Wow. And it is the good side of social media people. It's, um, <laughs> That's right. It's really encouraging. It's people go on there to, especially when the new challenge is announced. That's the most... Most ex- it's the most wonderful time of the year, you might say. <laughs> um, and people go on there and, and compare notes because I'll tell you that um, some of these categories are a little tricky in that you might not know a book fits until you've read it. You know what I mean? Right. So um, so anyway, it's uh, I can't wait to tell you more about the categories. We'll announce those uh, again on January 1st, and then we'll talk about them at length on January 5th with our library friends, and we'll talk about books we've read that would fulfill the different categories. We'll so talk you'll about. be able to get a lot of suggestions yes, from that podcast. Lots and lots of suggestions. And I'm looking forward to hearing other people's suggestions as well. So that's going to be January 5th. Watch all those channels for more information, details. Right. So if you are available January 5th, I believe it's at six o'clock. This is one of those where we are recording in front of a live audience. Yes, and it's always so exciting. I love doing that. So this is open to you. If you hear this and you are within striking distance of the Advanced Learning Library in Wichita, Kansas, you should absolutely attend. It's free. You'll just be part of the audience. We'll open up microphones for audience suggestions or questions, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. Like Suzanne said, this is a a crossover recording of both of our podcasts that we're doing together. Yeah, it's going to be so fun. And, you know, that's a good place to get your bookmark. Everyone wants the bookmark. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. So those bookmarks are beautiful again this year. Got all of them listed on there. Pick up a couple. Keep them with you. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll give you all the details on how to log your reading on the library's website. So you're um, we'll be eligible for fabulous prizes every month too yeah so every month all kinds I think of goodness that's, that's something that i didn't realize i thought i just had to log them all by the end of the year because that's yeah. usually what i do i you know i do read I a lot of books do. and i yeah. just <laughs> fit in the categories but it, you know every single month they they give a prize so that's that's incentive for logging as you go absolutely and it's so easy i just can't wait so i, I was i couldn't wait to share that with our podcast audience i hope that you'll tune in with for that one, either live, if you can make it, that'd be wonderful. We'd love to see your smiling faces. Or that um, episode will drop the next week. The library's podcast and ours will drop at the same time. Right. So. Yeah. And there's so, this video. So I have to wear makeup is what you're saying. I, I was just realizing the same thing for myself. 
what are you wearing? <laughs> okay. um, no, I'm, I'm very excited about that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that seems like a good place to stop. Absolutely. Well, until next time. Keep turning those pages. Bye-bye. Bye. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Stancer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org. Thank you.